you brought a Bible, go please to Matthew chapter 15 and verse 21. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. We're going to conclude our sermon series this morning entitled, Give Me Jesus. How many of you want Jesus? And we read this morning about a woman who had this as the cry of her heart. Matthew 15, 21, Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre of Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord. But even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. We pray that you will open our hearts and let our hearts receive the word of the Lord this morning. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Say, give me Jesus. This statement, give me Jesus, is nothing less than a prayer. A very short and succinct prayer, nevertheless a powerful one, in which we say to God, God, I want Jesus more than anything else in my life. When I was a little boy, my father would sing, I love Jesus better than ice cream, and ice cream's pretty good. This statement, I want Jesus, give me Jesus, is saying that there is nothing better in life, nothing greater than walking with Jesus and knowing him. We have before us this morning the story of a woman who had this as the cry of her heart. This woman was in a real crisis. She was in a moment of real difficulty in her life because her daughter, the Bible says, was grievously possessed by the devil. Her daughter was not just, you know, sort of possessed. You know, there are some people just sort of possessed. This was a bad case. She was grievously possessed by the devil. And you know there is nothing that will move the heart of a person so much as the need of their child. There are perhaps some things that you can tolerate. There is a threshold of pain that you can endure on your own and for yourself that is tolerable and manageable. But when your children are in involved, when there is a crisis at home, there is a a, a yearning in the heart of man, in the heart of a father or mother to find a solution. And this woman heard that Jesus had come to the region of Sire of Tidon. She uh, knew that there was a man in town who was able to do something for her. And so she reveals to us through her actions that she made much of Christ. So as we conclude this sermon series, I want to encourage you to make much of Christ. You can always tell how, uh, how important God is to a person 
and in their life by how much they make of God. How much you make of Christ was the, the measuring line as to how you view God, the importance that you give to Him. Some people make uh, only enough of God to show up on, on His house on one or two Sundays of the year when it's Easter or Christmas, but others make more of God and they decide they want to be in God's house on a weekly basis and others twice a week and three times a week. Uh, there are others who make much of God by being in His Word and by being in prayer. And when we do those things, we demonstrate that God is important to us. We demonstrate that we have given value to God, that we have ascribed incredible value to Him. You know, we live in a culture that has made much of self and little of God. We live in a culture that makes much of the I and the me and the self. And we, uh, we see around us a culture that makes much of the, of the man, much of my own intellect, philosophy and ideas, my own achievements. But a world that has, in the same way, made little of God. We've kind of shoved him off to a corner. We've moved him off to the side. He's, a, he's an incidental thing that we call on at the beginning of a ceremony or maybe before we pray, if we remember our culture has put God off to the side. But I believe this morning that I'm speaking to a house full of people who still make much of God. I believe I'm speaking to a house full of people that still say God is number one in my life. You see, this woman made much of God, and there are five things she did that reveal that she made much of Christ. And I want to encourage you to adopt these five things in your life this morning. The first thing she did was she considered Christ to be essential to the solution of her problem. You see, she had a, 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 an essential commitment to the fact that the only one that can solve this problem for me is Jesus. And I have discovered as I have ministered for these years that, that unless somebody makes Jesus essential in their life, they'll hardly have any spiritual growth at all. You see, if Jesus is just a bumper sticker on the back of your car or a t-shirt that you can wear uh, when the moment is appropriate, you're not really considering him essential. But you see, Jesus is the essential factor of the Christian life. You can't be saved without Jesus. You can't be baptized in the Holy Spirit without Jesus because Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. You can't be healed without Jesus because Jesus is the healer who shed his blood for the salvation of the sick. Come on, somebody. You can't go to heaven without Jesus. I said you can't go to heaven without Jesus. When you get to heaven, it won't be Buddha that lets you in. It won't be Mohammed that lets you in. It won't be the Virgin Mary who lets you in. It won't be uh, Father Abraham who lets you in. It won't even be Pastor Isaac who lets you in. When we get to heaven, Jesus alone will let you in. Jesus is essential. He's essential to the church. He's essential to every day of our life. And this woman had this understanding. She considered him to be essential. She understood, I can do nothing without Jesus. Jesus told us that in the Gospels in John 15. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He didn't say, apart from me, you can do little. Apart from me, you can do some. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. He considered himself essential to the equation. Can I tell you this morning that Jesus is still essential to the equation? Do you want happiness in your life? You've got to have Jesus in your life. Do you want happiness in your marriage? You've got to have Jesus in your marriage. Do you want peace in your mind? Guess what? You need Jesus in your mind because Jesus is the essential thing. Come on, somebody. He is the whole equation. If you have everything 
but don't have Jesus, you have nothing. Yet if you have nothing but have Jesus, you have everything. Come on, somebody. I said you have everything because Jesus is the one you can count on. Now, she considered Christ essential, and we know that because at a moment when Jesus seems to reject her, she doesn't leave. Because, you see, if she had thought there was a solution somewhere else, she would have gone somewhere else. If she had thought there was a place where she could have gotten the thing that she needed without being rejected or, or pushed aside, then she would have gone there. But she knew there's no other place to go. I have no other remedy. I have no other solution. I have no other path. It's Jesus alone that is the way to my healing. Jesus alone is the way to my family crisis being solved. And I want to tell you today, many of you have discovered this in your own life. You've gone down every other road. You've followed down every other path. But then you discovered every other road. Is a dead end. Every other path leads to sorrow. There is only one that is essential, and that is Jesus Christ, the Son of the Living God. Shout Amen if you know Him. The second thing we see is that she considered God able. Not only did she consider Christ essential, but she considered Him able to do the thing that she needed done. You see, it is essential for us to believe that God exists, that He is. The number one, that he is the first place. But it is also essential that we understand that we believe that he can do it. That he is an able God. When you read the Bible, you read in the book of Hebrews, chapter 7, verse 25, that he is able to save. I don't care how bad your life has been. I don't care what your past has been. The Bible said that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. That means you can be at the rock bottom and Jesus is able to save you. That means you could have failed in every possible way, but Jesus is able to save you. Is there anybody in here that knows that Jesus saves? I say you know that Jesus saves. You don't think you know. You know that Jesus saves because you know where you were and you know where you are and you know that Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Jude 1.24 tells us that he is able to keep us. Not only is Jesus able to save you, but he is able to keep you in the, in the faith. He is able to keep you from stumbling, able to keep you from sinning, able to keep you from falling, able to keep you from giving up, and able to keep you from giving in. Maybe today you're on the slippery slope. You feel like, Pastor, I'm about to give up. Can I tell you, Jesus is able to rescue you and to deliver you and to put your feet on a solid footing and on a sound foundation. Hebrews 2.18 tells us that he is able to help. He is able to help those who come to God through him with boldness. You need help this morning? Are you bearing a burden bigger than you can bear? Jesus can help. Are you going through a crisis that you can't solve? Jesus can help. Are you going through a storm that you can't bring peace to? Jesus can bring peace to that storm. He is the help that you need this morning. He says, call upon me and I will answer you. He will be your help and your deliverer. Philippians 3 21 tells us that he is able to subdue all things under his authority and under his power. 
You know, there are days when things rear their head in your life. Demons show up in your life to tell you that you're going to die, that you're not going to make it, that you're going to have a div- you're going to end up in divorce, that you're going to lose your job, that you're going to lose your house, you're going to lose your car. The devil comes to tell you all the things that he wants to bring into your life. And you think, wow, this giant is bigger than me. And this Goliath that's standing in front of me is insurmountable. But can I tell you something? Jesus is able to subdue every lie and every demon under his feet and set them under his authority. Come on, somebody. He is able to subdue. What does that mean? He's able to knock the devil down a few notches and put him under your feet so that you can stand in the authority of the blood and the name of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 9.8 tells us that he is able to make grace abound. That means that God is able to give you the grace, the all-sufficient grace, to endure the, the challenges of life, to go after those goals that you have in your life, and to succeed in every single one of them. He can make grace abound so that you can be a success and not a failure, so that you go above and not beneath, so that you will be the head and not the tail. He is able to do that. In fact, he is doing that right now. And if you look at this year and you look at the years of your life, I promise you this. When you look back over your life, you will see the grace of God at every moment. You will see the grace of God supplying the strength and the energy and the will and the ability to do the will of God. Here's my favorite, Ephesians 3.20. It says, God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, and above all that you could ask or even imagine. Have you ever asked something big from God? Just two people ask big things from God. Have you ever asked something big from God? Something so big you thought God would laugh at you. Something so big you thought was outside of reach. Maybe you have asked God for some big things, but can I tell you, God is able to do that and more. He is able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all that you could ever ask or even imagine. And he is able to do that in your life. I believe he wants to do that in your life in this coming year. Say amen, somebody. Say God is able. When you face a challenge, say God is able. When you face a mountain, say God is able. When you face sickness, say God is able. When you face a financial need, say God is able. Why? Because God is able. I said God is able. He has all power, all authority, all dominion. He can do anything. She came to Jesus because she knew that he was able. Then we see the third thing. She considered him merciful. The Bible says she came to Jesus. And she began to cry out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is grievously possessed by the devil. She considered that Jesus was merciful to her. Can I tell you, friend, that this is an essential truth. God wants you to know this this morning. He has sent me to you this morning to tell you this simple truth. God cares about you. God cares about every single detail of your life. There are some things maybe you think God doesn't notice. God notices and God cares. Sometimes we feel like Peter when he was on that boat in the midst of the Sea of Galilee. The the storm had risen up. The waves were crashing against the boat. The boat was filling up with water. He was bailing the water out with a bucket. And while he's bailing the water out and trying to survive, he says to the Lord, Lord, don't you care that we are perishing? Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? When you said, God, don't you care? 
God, don't you notice? God, don't you see me going through this? Can I tell you, friend, if he didn't care, he wouldn't have been in the boat. If he didn't care, he wouldn't be in your life. He's there because he cares. He is there because you matter to God. You matter to God. Say that with me. I matter to God. You got to know that in your heart, God cares for you. The people of Israel had been in Egyptian slavery for 400 years. And the Bible tells us that they had kind of begun to lose hope. They started to lose the confidence in the fact that God would ever deliver them. And finally, God raised up Moses. And he said to Moses, go tell my people that I have seen their affliction. I have heard their cry. And I have come down to deliver them. God has the same message for you this morning. He says, I have seen your affliction. I've seen what you're walking through. I know the valley that you're in. I know the place where your soul finds itself. And I have heard your cry. I have heard the cry in the night, which nobody heard. I have heard you as you cried tears upon your pillow and said, God, where are you? And he says, this morning, I have come down to deliver you. I have come down to strengthen you. I have come down to help you. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about the God who cares. He cares about your soul. He doesn't want you to perish. He cares about your marriage. He cares about your children. He cares about your relationships. He cares about the scars that you carry, about the hurt and the wound and the offense that's in your heart. He cares about the rebellious child where that is out in the streets which you don't know where they are exactly. He cares about every single person in your life. He cares for you as you mourn the loss of a loved one around the holidays. He cares even about what you're going to have for lunch. The Bible says that a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice. And you, friend, are worth more than sparrows to God. God cares for the sparrow, but he cares more for you. Somebody say amen. The Bible said the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. That sounds like a God who cares. That sounds like a God who knows and understands. That sounds like a God who has compassion and mercy for you and I. The Bible said the righteous cry and the Lord hears them. And he delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed. In spirit, for many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. This woman came to God because she knew that God cared. She called out to him, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. My child is grievously possessed by the devil. When you read that prayer, there's about 15 words in that prayer. It's very articulate. It defines her need. It defines her trust in the solution to the need. It defines the fact that she believed that God was merciful and that God cared. And yet, when you read the text of Scripture, you find this paradox. But the Bible said that Jesus answered her not a word. Silence. Some of you, when you get answered with silence, you get discouraged. Most of us, when we get ignored, we get mad. If you're at the grocery store and you ask somebody that's employed there, you say, sir, could you help me reach that thing at the top shelf there? And he looks at you and just keeps on chatting with his buddies. You get a little 
little angry about that. And see, there are some people who walk around being mad at God because he's silent, because he hasn't answered. The Bible said he answered her not a word. Now, this part of the sermon is really for some mature Christians, mature believers, because my question to you this morning is what do you do when God says nothing? What do you do when God is quiet? When God doesn't answer your prayer. The poet said it's enough to drive a man crazy. It'll break a man's faith. It's enough to make him wonder if he's ever been sane. When he's bleeding for comfort from the staff and rod. And heaven's only answer is the silence of God. Job said it like this. He said, I cry for help and you do not answer. You stand and look at me. But I have no help. David said it like this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me and from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, by day I cry and you do not answer. And by night and I find no rest. What do you do when God is quiet? When God is silent? What do you do when you go to the dark night of the soul? When you go to the bitter hours of the wilderness experience? What do you do when you cry out for mercy and the God who is able says nothing? Friends, this is where our faith is proven. This is where our faith is put to the test. For you see, there are many who have uh, heard or have sensed the silence of God. And they rebel against God. Or they become angry at God. They turn their back to God. But I'm going to tell you what you do. When God is silent, you draw near to God. You draw closer to God. He says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. You see, when God is silent, it's not a time to stop praying. It's a time to pray more. It's not a time to stop worshiping. It's a time to worship more. It's not a time to stop going to the house of God. It's a time to go to the house of God more. Come on, somebody. When God is silent, you've got to push your way through the silence to get to the place where your answer is. The second thing you have to do when God is silent is confront the sin that's in your life. Are there sinful attitudes? Are there things that God is not pleased with in your life? When God is silent, many times it's an opportunity for you to examine your life and to say these things need to go. These things need to leave. I need to leave them at the altar and go forward in my, in my faith and in my walk with God. Can I tell you this morning, it's a good opportunity for you to leave behind some things that you've been carrying in 2018. Some habits, some bad, uh, some bad uh, thoughts, some, some uh, uh, discouragement, some offenses. You have to leave them beside you and go forward because there are better things ahead of you. There are greater things ahead of you. So repent of those things. Put them aside. And then the third thing this woman did in the silence was she made up your mi her mind. I want to encourage you to make up your mind this morning. What did she make up her mind to do? She made up her mind that God was going to get the glory out of her life. I said she made up her mind that God was going to get the glory out of her life. You see, she, she had this conviction. Whatever happens, whatever it costs, whatever it takes, whatever I go through, God is going to get the glory out of my life. 
Hell is not going to get the glory out of my life. The devil is not going to get the glory out of my life. God is going to get the glory out of my life. Come on, somebody. Cancer is not going to get the glory out of your life. Sickness is not going to get the glory out of your life. Crisis is not going to get the glory out of your life. God is going to get the glory out of your life. Is there anybody in here who has made up their mind, God is going to get glory out of my life? Now, you see... You see, I know this morning that this, this sermon is a lot easier to preach now because we've already done in the worship service what I'm preaching about. Because some of you came in here and you, have a, you haven't heard from God. God hasn't said a word. And you're, you're, getting, you're getting a little, a little discouraged. And you don't really know what to do next. But you came in here and you started worshiping God anyway. You started lifting your hands anyway. You started to say bless the Lord anyway. Why? Because you realize God is up to something. If God is in the silence, God is working. God is moving. God is doing a good thing on behalf of my life. Come on, somebody. God knows the plans that he has for you. And there are good plans. Plans to prosper you. Plans to raise you up. Plan to put your feet on a solid ground and a firm footing. Somebody say amen if you believe that. She had this conviction. God is going to get glory out of this. When you go through a, a moment of bitterness in your life, you have to decide who's going to get the glory. Who's going to get the glory in this trial? Is it going to be the devil or is it going to be God? Is it going to be the crisis or is it going to be God? Am I going to fill my mouth with complaints and sour words about how bitter things are and how, how neglectful God has been? Or am I going to say, I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth? You see, we quote that psalm. We don't always remember the story behind it. King David, or David the warrior, had gone through a very humiliating experience in his life. He had to run into the Philistine camp in order to escape the capture by Saul. And while he was over there, the, the uh, Philistines recognized him. And they would have surely put him to death. This was the man who had conquered their Goliath. And the Bible said that David acted like he was, like he was mad. He acted crazy. He let the saliva run down his beard. He kind of put on a show like he had lost his mind because this was his only way to get out of this trouble. He was humiliated. He was the hero of Israel. But now they look at him and laugh and say, look at this fool. He's lost his mind. And they let David just wander through the camp. But when he got out of that fix, he came out saying, I will bless the Lord at all times. And his praise will continually be in my mouth because it's God who brought me through. It's God who restores. It's God who heals. Come on, somebody. You have a reason to praise the Lord. She came into that house, that place where Jesus was, and she started getting closer. You see, when God is silent, you got to get closer. And as she got closer, she started acting up. You know what I mean by acting up? She started doing this. Lord, have mercy, Lord. Have mercy, Lord. Have mercy, Lord. And you know, if we, if we saw that today, we had some ushers come right away and say, All right, hermanita, back to your seats. That's what the disciples did. They said, Lord. Tell her to go away. Tell her to be quiet. But she started to worship God. 
She started to praise the Lord because here's the next thing. She considered him worthy of praise. She considered him worthy of adoration. She considered him worthy of her glory. You see, friends, it's easy to worship God when you have your miracle. But the best time to worship God is when you haven't received your miracle yet. When you say, I will bless the Lord, bless the Lord, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Come on, somebody. Bless the Lord in his house this morning. Because the Bible said that God inhabits the praises of his people. You know what that means? I'll put it in plain English. God is attracted to praise. If you don't believe me, just watch the men God made in his image. You know God made men in his image? He made women in his image too. All right, ladies, don't be offended. But just watch. When you, when you see a man carrying the groceries in the house and you say, wow, look at that man. He can carry more than one bag of groceries. He loves praise. You know, he'll go back in the car and bring spare tire in if he has to. Come on, gentlemen. You know you like that. When you walk in the house and, and there's, there's a, a, a word of encouragement God loves praise just like that. And this woman knew Jesus might not, might not be interested in helping me right now because I'm not a Jew. I'm a Gentile. I'm outside of the race of Israel. I'm outside of the promises of God. But he can't resist praise. He can't resist worship. And she starts to praise the Lord. She starts to magnify the Lord. She starts to exalt the Lord. And as she worships him, and as she praises him, she finds a key that opens and unlocks the door to the presence of God. Can I tell you, friend, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter if you're in a hospital room. Bless the Lord. It doesn't matter if you're in a jail cell. Bless the Lord. It doesn't matter if you're on the side of the road. Bless the Lord. He is worthy of praise. He is worthy of worship. Come on. Is there anybody in here that has praise and worship for the living God? You see, when you get your miracle, it's easy to praise. You go on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. Praise report. But God is looking for you to praise him in the silence. Here's the last thing this woman did. She considered him enough. Everybody say enough. Is God enough? Do you really believe that God is enough? Jesus, first of all, he ignored her. Then, when he spoke up, he said, I cannot give the children's bread to the dogs. Now, if I said that, I'd lose half the membership of this church. I can't give the children's bread to the dogs. You know, the Jews had a nickname for Gentiles. They called them dogs. And what Jesus was saying here, he was saying, I'm a Jewish Messiah. I came to seek and save the children of the house of Israel. And what you're asking me to do is you're asking me to take the plate off of the Jewish table. And set it down here before the Jews have even eaten. 
Before the children who have the law and the Ten Commandments and the promises of God have even yet had their opportunity to enjoy this meal. You want me to take it down and set it on the ground for the dogs to eat? She said, yes, Lord, I get all that. I get all that theology. I get all of that racial difference. But here's what I also know. That even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall on the floor. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. What was she saying? She was saying, Lord, if you'll just give me a little bit, it will be enough. Because you are enough for my life. You are enough for my days. You are enough for my nights. Come on, somebody. God is more than enough. God is enough. She was saying, he is the all-sufficient one. That's why this morning and throughout this month, we've been saying, give me Jesus. Why? Because Jesus alone is enough. You notice the theme wasn't give me a husband. Because no husband is enough. I heard a lot of hermanas say amen. That's true. Some of you are wearing your husband out because you're trying to get from him what you can only get from Jesus. But it also doesn't say, give me a wife. Well, you need a wife, some of you, some of us. But I didn't say give me a wife because a wife isn't enough either. I didn't say give me a new job. It doesn't say give me gold or silver or more money or more influence or more power because none of those things are enough. Only Jesus is enough. That's why we say give me Jesus because if you have Jesus, then the husband and the wife will be happy and blessed. If you have Jesus, then your children will be blessed. If you have Jesus, then your needs are met. Come on, somebody. You've got to know this. Jesus is enough. If you have Jesus, you have the all-sufficiency of God. That's why we say, I don't want a title. I don't want trophies. I don't want recognition. I want Jesus. I want Jesus more than silver. I want Jesus more than gold. I want Jesus more than my miracle. I want Jesus because Jesus alone is enough. He is the well that never runs dry. The Bible said this, the nation of Israel forsook the fountain of living water for a cistern with holes in it. That's why we say, give me Jesus, because Jesus is the fountain of living water. Jesus is the all-sufficient one. When Jesus saw the faith in this woman, when he saw her worship and praise him in spite of his silence, he said, I've never seen such great faith in all of Israel. Your daughter is well. This morning... I want to invite you to draw near to God. 
Just do like this woman did and say, Lord, I consider you able. I consider you merciful. I consider you essential. I consider you worthy of praise. And I consider you enough. And this morning, I bring to you my worship and my praise because you alone are worthy to receive it. Would you stand with me and just come into this altar this morning? Would you just come and fill this altar with worship for the living God? Come on, draw near to God. Every single person in here has something for which to give God praise. Something for which to give God glory. You have seen His faithfulness. You've seen His kindness. You've seen His blessing. Come on, let's fill this altar with a church that knows how to worship God. A church that says, God, when you're silent, I'll trust you. I will depend on you. I'm not alone.